Welcome everybody to Summer School, a space for the woke, witty, and sometimes ratchet educator, for our educator allies who just want to get it right, for those who want the real inside scoop of the day-to-day -day joys and woes of working with black and brown children, families, and communities, for those who know black and brown educators are needed, multi-dimensional, and sometimes just petty as hell. It's May 28th, three days after the murder of George Floyd, and I'm listening to my husband on the phone with a white racist. After my husband posted on his Facebook a simple message of, I'm stuck, how do we respond? What's the solution? A white male hopped on and said, we don't know the whole story. It's sad he died. But it's absurd that there was a riot. Violence begets violence. Whew, child, I am hot. But as I began to engage in conversation with this man, I quickly realized there is absolutely nothing I can say or do that was gonna change his mind. I'm beginning to believe that it's no longer my responsibility to carry the burden of speaking up no one is listening. Nothing is going to change. My black brothers and sisters are tired. We've already said it all. So, who is going to carry this burden and continue the fight? Anyway, back to this call. My body is currently going through shock. Not because I'm shocked by what is being said, but because my body can't handle being sad, furiated, exhausted, and afraid. He just said that he's a God-fearing man. It's hard for me to believe that he and I believe in the same God. The God who loves all. The God who is the Prince of Peace. The God who... The God who the guy who. As I write, he is continuing his rant that rioters are people acting like a bunch of idiots. What happened in Minnesota was terrible, but it doesn't give you the excuse to riot. <sighs> there is nothing my husband can say right now to start a mindset shift for this man. So I'm gonna walk away. I need to leave this alone because it's not helpful for me. However, 
I'm struggling as a leader of a school of children, really leaders of the next generation and not saying or doing anything. So today, if nothing else I can do, I'm going to use the position I'm in to continue fighting and equipping my young minds to take the charge and understand the crazy fucked up world they're in and flip it on its head. Time for professional development. Here we'll connect with the guests or I'll explore a topic that's meant to challenge our thoughts and sometimes just say the things we've all been thinking. Our guest today hails from Hartford, Connecticut, an alumnus of Howard University, earning his bachelor's degree in political science. He furthered his education studying counseling for student development and higher education at Central Connecticut State University. He is currently pursuing his doctorate in higher education at Morgan State University. He works as a resident hall director at Morgan in the Howard P. Rawlings Hall. He was also the past president of the Morgan State University Graduate Student Association. He was previously employed at the Capital Region Education Council, Academy of Aerospace and Engineering High School, serving as a student services coordinator. He also held internships in the office of the president at Eastern Connecticut State University and at Trinity College, Office of Student Activities and Leadership Development. He has always been an active servant leader. His areas of interest include mentorship, leadership, development, HBCUs, and student programming. He enjoys spending time with his family, friends, traveling, politics, and connecting with people from all walks of life. His favorite quote is, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. He is passionate about life and fulfilling it to its fullest. Welcome Chad Williams Bay. Thank you, Chad, for being on today. I I honestly, I find it troubling that we're still here and we still have to shed light on something like this again. And I know that you, I, we are exhausted. We're hurting and we are just not okay. Uh, but it's the burden that we've had to bear as black people in this country for a while. But with so many things happening in the country right now, just how are you doing? Um, it's kind of, that's kind of a weird question because it's like two huge things that's happening right now when you have, um, you have this pandemic that's happening and that you're having this, you know, experience where, you know, like I, li I live in Maryland my family is in Connecticut, you know, like, so I'm here kind of by myself. Um, and so experiencing those emotions and those feelings that come with that. And then you have, you know, this brutality that's happening. 
And so it's tapping into a lot of like my emotion and humanity as a person. Um, and so the capacity of that is, is, is lessened um, with these experiences. Um, the good thing with the pandemic is that I don't have to engage or interact physically, um, you know, with people of other experiences, race, creed, economics, social, whatever. Um, so I'm blessed that I'm in a black community. I'm blessed that I'm surrounded by, you know, black people who will look like me. Um, but I guess I would say to answer the question, um, I'm not okay, but I'm dealing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and that's something that we've had to do for such a long time. And I, and I remember, you know, specific instances over my life when black men were dying, where I had to address this feeling. So I'm not okay. I'm dealing. Um, and there's a lot that's going on in the world right now that I can imagine how difficult it could be for people who look like me, um, for them in the world. So I'm better than most, but you know, yeah, not okay. So I would like for you to just take a moment to either share a story or just explain what your experience has been with police. I know you and I have a long history together and I specifically remember an event. If you would like to go into that, but Overall, what has your relationship been like with police? Um, I will say for me, my growing up, I grew up in Connecticut um, and I didn't have really too much engagement with police. I was a you know a pretty good kid, went to school, was in activities. I never like I knew that they were there to protect and serve. I knew that they, you know, got bad guys off of the street. Um, I don't think that I knew of, of any, um, brutality other than what was national. So like Rodney King, um, mm-hmm. you know, they have LA, New York, things were happening in major metropolitan cities. So for me, it was like, well, that's just a lot of people, you know, we don't have a lot of people. Um, and so my relationship with the cops pre going to college was just, you know, that's who they are. Like, I don't need them. They don't need me. So they doing their job. I'm doing mine. Um, so <laughs> the situation that you're talking about, it was my junior year in college. It was uh, Jasmine's freshman year. And we had just got back from, um, it was second semester. Uh, so it was the, you know, the start of the second semester. I think we were there for probably about two weeks. Um, it was the, the night was the 21st of January going into the 22nd. Um, and so, I had um, one of my really close friends, one of my best friends in college. It was her birthday. We were celebrating. We had a party. Um, it was great. And I remember, you know, I had on this, I'm, I had my Christmas fit on. It was this cream <laughs> Sean John sweater with these blue Sean John jeans. Um, and my friend had got me these sneakers. They were this like mixture of this cream, this orange and this green, like my belt. Everything was new. Like I knew I was fly. It was like, you know, my homie's birthday. You know, we're going to have a great night. So, um, unbeknownst, I like to, you know, wow, thank you for this platform, Jasmine, because I don't, I have not been able to say this to a lot of people, but unbeknownst to most people, I was not drunk at all. I did not have an ounce of liquor. I actually was fasting from liquor and I was doing this, uh, it was since October. Um, so everybody knows I love to have a good time. I don't mind having a drink, but at this time I was completely sober, not an ounce was within me. 
Um, so, you know, we had the party, we had a great time celebrating. It was over and I had been talking to some friends and they were like, yeah, we're in UTC. Um, so UTC is a off campus, um, apartment building complex, um, outside of Washington DC where we went to school, uh, where a hodgepodge of collegiate students will stay in these two towers. Um, so it was people from our institution, from the flagship institution of the next, next state. So like a, a myriad of schools lived in these two buildings, um, we, you know, there two of the apartments that were like um, condos in the building. They only had, I think, like two or three in each building. Um, in each building, I had a friend who lived in each. They were throwing parties that night. So everybody was there for those parties. You know, I heard the music, but my I was going somewhere else with some other friends going upstairs. Um, while I'm walking into the building, which a typical entrance into UTC is just like, you know, you can either get checked, you know, checked in or you can get buzzed in, whatever. So I'm doing the same thing. A cop, you know, intercedes and he comes over. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to my friend's room. They're right here. He's like, no, you can't go in. It's a riot. And I'm just looking around. I'm like, I've never seen a riot like this before, but okay. Um, so I'm now trying to figure out kind of what I'm going to do because the ride that I had, you know, they left some, you know, at this time we don't have Uber, we don't have Lyft, you know what I mean? Like the trains are down at this point. So now I got to kind of, you know, rewire my brain. So I'm standing there and I believe I'm standing there way too long for his liking. And so it does not look like I'm complying to what he's saying, but I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, you said I can't go up. What's next for me? So um, he's yelling at me and I proceed to walk. If anybody knows UTC, they have a little like cul-de-sac. And if you walk down the stairs, it'll take you to the public sidewalk. So if UTC is experiencing a riot, you know, I can stand on the public sidewalk while I figure out what I'm going to do next. Um, that didn't work for them. So as I'm, you know, walking down and entering this space, um, the public space, um, I hear like, watch out. And as I turn around, um, this African-American cop is um, racing at me in a full speed and then tax, you know, tackles me. So mind you, you know, my, my cream sweater, my mm. cream sneakers, um, I mix, you know, now I'm on the, the ground whole and I'm being, up. huh? Your whole fit fucked up. Whole fit fucked up. But now I'm on the ground and now I realize that it's me. It's my physical that's being fucked up. Um, so I was mm. being hit. I got tased three times in my right, um, like thigh area. Mm. Um, mm. and you know, Event like when that experience was happening, um, I see particular people like um, one of my really close friends, one of my group members was like coming to try and I'm like, yo, back the fuck up, get away. The young ladies who I had rode with, they I think have pulled over in their car. They happened to see the commotion and came back. So now they're yelling and all these people now are dear friends to me. They were fresh, you know, sophomore, well, fresh, the girls were freshmen um, at the time. And so you know, I'm just kind of like, y'all back up, back up, back up. And I remember reflecting to somebody recently, like, in the process of me being demonized, I was still able to be who I was as a person to help people. Like, I didn't need y'all to come. It was like, I wasn't important at that time because I had already been victimized and demonized. I don't need you all to have this experience. What? People so were ready. I'm there. People and were I ready. Remember, people were ready. And I remember at the point when I, like, I got up after they were done with whatever they thought they were doing. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my belt was on the left of me. My belt was no longer on my on my body. 
so that's how, you know, much of a tussle and who, you know, how they were moving me that something like a belt, like I could have never, like my sneakers coming off. Okay. Like my clothes stretching. Okay. Um, so then I had other friends who came up, <laughs> one of my friends at the time, anybody knows sidekicks, you know, that sidekick has one element that most phones don't. And that's video recording. Um, she decided to come up and be like, Oh, I'm recording y'all. And it was like, no, you're not. Set the phone. So it was, you know, it was a very intense situation for me at the time. Um, I was running for student body president. Um, you know, I was pretty well known on campus. I had not experienced anything like that before. I'm um, growing up in a, you know, growing up in Hartford, Connecticut, which is, you know, an urban area, but I went to school in the suburbs. So I kind of had this dichotomy and never really experiencing any interaction with police at all or being treated that way at all. Um, so for me, that was a very, um, it wasn't really embarrassing. It was just like, it was disgusting that people would comport themselves in a way just for a little power and control. Um, and then to have it done by someone who looks like you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to start it off, because I'm not going to put all the responsibility on him, but to have someone who looks like you start that off as opposed to saying, let me put you on game or shit, knock me out. You know what I mean? But you treated me like an animal. Um, and so for me, that kind of, that was the foundation of how I looked at policing in America. And this was pre, you know, social media. This was pre, you know, like banding together as a community. So for me, it was like, it was just, it was damaging to who I was as a person, um, and to my spirit. And I had to find a way to come to grips with being settled that, that experience happened because the more that um, I had one of my roommates at the time who did end up getting arrested with me. Um, he was from the area, the, um, the DC area and his parents, his family was very, you know, important with kind of getting our message out. They were really supportive. Um, and I appreciate them until this day. They were very much so like, well, your family's not here and we're here. So we need to make sure that, that you know, you're not treated in a way that you be able to do X, Y, and Z. They, they, they treated me like they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And trying to get the word out about what happened. So we were in a few newspapers, a few, you know, news. But the word that was coming back for me was even more damaging because people were attacking my character and who I was as a person. Um, my peers, people who didn't know me, people who were black, who was white. Um, and for me, that was a lot to handle as a 21-year-old. 20, um, and that I couldn't come to grips with. And so I think that I kind of silenced, I know, not kind of, I silenced myself yeah. in that because it was a lot to deal with. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So this was all pre that. Um, I am not, I understand people um, and I understand what they're there for, um, but I wouldn't put myself in that situation again. And not, and, but I also wouldn't silence myself again. I, I feel a lot more, um, mature and a lot more empowered to be able to be there for myself. So it was a pretty devastating situation. Um, and Jazz prefacing it, I never really had this conversation with it. I didn't never like to talk about it. Um, probably until recently, kind of when all these things start happening nationally with other people who, uh, other persons who look like me, um, it kind of became something like, I remember when Philando Castile had, you know, passed, I shared my experience first publicly on, on Facebook, I think it was. So, um, a lot better now in 2020. Um, but, you know, when that was happening, I think that was 2006. Jesus. Wow. Um, 
you know, it, I, I wasn't able to speak about it or to reflect on it in a way that I am now. So it's amazing. You you say you you silence yourself out of some of the backlash that happened. It. I mean, we see that now. We mm-hmm. see that black men, black people in general, are being dehumanized, and we're finding any kind of way to shift the narrative or shift the perspective of the story to make it seem not so bad, right? To make it seem like the fault had to lie somewhere with you in order for this situation to go the way it did. And that was, what, 2006, 2007? Imagine how many of those incidents have taken place Mm -hmm. and and folks were silent. They've just Mm -hmm. been quiet about it. They've been beat up by police. They've been dehumanized and all these things. And now we're starting to see it more often because of video cameras and Facebook and Instagram and things like that. But in that moment you were silenced and the backlash you received that, that is truly disheartening. It it truly is. It truly is. I I guess I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to wrap my mind around what is the root of the problem that we're facing as a nation, right? It's, I understand that this is simply another outcome of, you know, the historical trauma that we've been, that has been afflicted on us as a people from hundreds, hundreds of years ago, but we're still here. Like we have not, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in a daze watching this yeah. happen because I read about this in textbooks when I was a little kid and I'm experiencing this. Why are we still here? What What do you believe if you had to put your finger on it, what is the root of the issue here? I, I think that it's a matter of fact that we're not dealing with the situation. Like even when you think about other cultures or races who receive some level of, you know, um, what is it called? Repercussion. No, not repercussion. Um, what is that called? The 40 acres and a mule that they reparations. Reparations, thank you. I'm like repercussions. Reparations, you know, you have Native Americans. Again, and Indians, you know, you have the Jewish, you know, historically, there have been other cultures, races that have received some acknowledgement that this has happened. And I think that in America, you have this level of silence where people don't want to talk about it or it makes them uncomfortable or they won't address it. Um, and I was talking with a friend the other day. And, and then again, I brought up the way that I grew up. I grew up around white people intimately. Um, And I don't necessarily believe that all of them are racist. I don't think that all of them, you know, uh, want to see me dead or want to see my people or, you know, want to keep the country theirs. Like, I don't believe that. But what I do know and what I do believe is that there is a history that is embedded so deep in the fiber of our culture as Americans that if we don't address it, this will continue to happen. You know, like the baby boomers, you all they all lived in a time where they saw racism. So if you're not, and and might have participated in it because they were forced to or because it was the thing to do for whatever. Um, But if you're not going to talk about how that has moved you, if you're not going to be an ally, if you can't stand up for what's going to, it's going to continue to keep happening. It's going to continue to keep happening because um, the oppressed can't, can't move the oppressor, you know, back a needle. Like, then that that's and what it is is it's power it's it's power complex 
Um, and, and for me to be frankly honest, like I don't have time to have power conversations about my life. Like I don't, it's great to have power. It's great yeah. to be in control, but at the matter that I have to sit here and watch my back and, and, you know, and close my mouth and, you know, not confront things because, you know, I'm afraid to die. That's not a safe, that's not, I wouldn't want to, would anybody to live like that? Um, so I think the mere fact that we're not willing to have, um, honest conversation that we're not willing to be honest with each other about the history mm-hmm. um, and even about the parallels of it. You know, the leader of this nation, I think, made a, a tweet the other day and people were comparing the tweet of the words that were used to, you know, represent people of color compared to the words that were used to represent people, you know, white people, um, Caucasian people. And I think that we have to be careful of the words that we choose to use now because, that has a lot of power as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just nigga anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's words are becoming sentences and sentences are becoming paragraphs and they're becoming offensive and they're not addressing what we need to address in America in order to move the needle for America to be who she should be. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that addressing it where we're we're making some waves, right? I remember being in grad school in 2015 and um I believe Freddie Gray, Freddie Gray had uh been murdered. And we we were starting those conversations and of course you still had those who had that covert language, you know, of of racism where it's like, well, what was he doing exactly? Or did he steal something? Or you it, it's that very covert language. But we're having the conversations. It's it's the mindsets that that aren't being shifted here. It's those behind closed doors conversations that they're having at at dinner that young kids are hearing that become mm-hmm. adults, and they're yeah. then perpetuating what mommy and daddy have been saying about those those black people, and not understanding what was happening maybe 20 years ago. Like me being born in the eighties, if I was born in the sixties, my whole mindset would be a lot different. Mm-hmm. And that's the same me being born in the 80s. If I was born in the two thousands, I would have a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be cognizant of everything you bring to the table. Like I can't respond like my mom. Cause I probably didn't see any of that. Like my mom was alive when MLK, when Malcolm X, yeah. like, you know, when the, the black Panther party was being dismantled and, you know, all those speak all those names that were being shot and mega evers that were being, you know, assassinated for speaking up for us. And so that was a different time frame. And then when, you know, here I am born and born at the start of the, you know, NWA and the, you know, F the police and, mm-hmm. you know, now speaking up, finding our voice. And now it's like our voice kind of matters, you know, where I have the platform to do it. But when it comes to the people hearing it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's like we're in completely different generations. And like we ha- and that goes for the people who are different co- races than us. Like those are still the same thing. In the 60s, you know, there were people who were assassinating and you were watching it on television and you had kids in the 80s who was trying to mimic, you know, our culture. And right. still are. You know what I mean? So it's like how can you accept our, our culture but you can't accept us? Yeah. Um I I don't know. I, I've been conflicted over these past couple of weeks because um, I, I work in, in a high school currently and I know that you worked in various sectors of education and most recently higher ed. Mm-hmm. 
I've been conflicted about figuring out what is my role or my duty as an educator to help change the current climate of black males being brutally murdered. Like, this is a thing that's happening. But what's in my locus of control right now? Like, my role. Like, I'm in a position of power. Like, what do I do with that? And I, I led a PD on Friday and kind of we, we switched it up at the last minute because I said, this is something we need to address across our staff. Latino, black, white, whoever's on our staff, we're going to talk about this today. And that's something yeah. small. And I don't know if that's as impactful, but I don't know. From your perspective, what's our role as educators? The the interesting thing is that, and, I, and I, I'm going to just, I just, so I want to tell like a small anecdote. I remember being at a conference like two years ago and there was a question that was posed because like Jasmine said, I work in higher ed, um, work at a university in Maryland. Um, The question was posed like, it's not, are our students ready for us? The question is, are we ready for our students? And I think that our education system has aligned us and our endeavors to be leaders within education for them to be right. You need to be prepared. You need to bring everything. You need to bring yourself. Forget everything that you're dealing with at home, what you might have to experience while you're coming to school. Forget the fact that you're at a school district that's underfunded. Forget the fact that, you know, your teachers don't have the resources. Forget the fact that, you know, everything. And so I think that when you talk about you know, our roles as educators and leaders and what we can do, I think that, one, we need to shift our perspective and mindset to remember that, that now in 2020, that these institutions, whether they're K through 12, you know, whether they're pre, whether they're college, whatever, they, the system needs to be designed to ensure that the system is ready for what the students are going to bring to the table. Mm. And especially being that, you know, when you're talking about testing, and how that has been, you know, culturally biased. You're talking about, you know, like I said, resources and education. And so when you're talking about um, educators and their roles, you know, yeah, I guess I would say post-COVID, I'll just put it, you know, label it that. We have to band together in a way, like you say, you bringing your staff together who are culturally diverse, but we also have to make sure that our parents and our families are not say that you're creating a structure, but that they know who you are and they know that you're committed not only to academic excellence for their students, but to holistic excellence for their child. Um, And we have to build trust within our communities, trust within our parents. And we truly need to get back to the way things used to be when we had a community. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I understand that we have people who are outside of our communities, but if we have people within our communities that we trust, we'll trust their decisions were best for our students and that if they are not, that we'll be able to correct those. But trust, respect, community, like I think those are things yeah. that we're missing um, and that are important. Um, and I and also just to be, you know, honest to add some jugular to it, being a product of de- a desegregation school system, like, like being bust out. Um, me having that experience, mm-hmm. I'm not even a hundred percent sure if that might have been the best thing for me. Mm. Or even I entertain the idea that you know I'm not sure if Brown v. Board or you know I, I haven't quite wrapped my head. Was that the best thing for us? Yeah. You know when you're talking about where we are right now, 
But also, it could have been, I don't know, and I can't, I don't have a fantasy or an idea of what the world would have looked like if it didn't happen. But what I will say is, I know that desegregation, and you know, and I've and I've I've um, done some some documentaries and research about desegregation here in Baltimore. Um, you know, with their with their schools and high schools, one of the the former deans here at um, my institution was actually one of the first classes to integrate. Um, you know, you've seen it in other institutions that were, you know, Little Rock. Um, and so it's just like, I'm, I'm not sure, but I do know that what I do know is that community is super important. Um, and I know, that, you know, and I know that. Uh, and I think that that's what will work best for our students nowadays to know that, you know, my mom, my principal, my, 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 my pastor, my, my my neighbor, they all care for me. Yep. And they all want me to succeed. And that's also even individualizing that and not even forcing our our youth into certain things. You know what I mean? Like that, oh well, you I did this, so you gotta do this. I think that we need people to and the being that we do have a lot more choice in education now, let them choose. Help them understand what the difference is between a vocational, a arts, a technical you know, a regular academic, you know, a merger, whatever type of institutions, high schools or schools that are around you, help them understand so that even those decisions are um, mutual. Yep. I worked at a high school prior to this and it was a very high regarded academic institution, you know, on paper and, you know, what they were doing and what they were studying. But we were getting students who they were coming there because the school was like, I think we went to school from like 730 until like 415. So parents, you know, I could drop my child off. They're gone all day while I'm at work or whatever I'm doing. Um, and then the, the work was just too rigorous for some of these students. Mm. And at the time, this this the school did not have a track that it was a high track, honors AP, you know, and then they started instituting, you know, regular collegiate level courses. And so in that way, they were adapting to the needs of the students, but it wasn't prepared prior to. So when those students came to the school, they didn't feel a part of the community because they knew, well, socially I might be okay. Number wise, I might be okay, but you're talking some jargon that I don't know. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know about osmosis and chlorophyll. I don't know about trigonometry and you know all that stuff. I don't know this, you know. So we need to start speaking languages that our students speak. Yeah, I. Uh, you make such a, a great point around this idea of community. It's so often schools can become so insulated where they feel like they have to fix every problem inside their building as if mm -hmm. we don't have, as if our communities aren't assets to us. Yeah. And that's something that I made a vow um, as one of my goals this year, moving into this school year was I'm going to connect with three community partners Mm -hmm. that are going to bring resources to our schools to support our families, not just yeah. to support the students, because our families needed the support in yeah. order to feel as though they were thriving. And it's hard when we're dealing with with so much going on in our nation and we're seeing these black, black bodies killed, but there are so many things that our families are dealing with Mm -hmm. Where they sometimes don't even have the time or, or feel the need to start having these conversations with their black boys or trying to educate them that like they, they're they're trying to get a meal on the table or they're yeah. trying to figure out how they're gonna get health care. 
so there, there are so many layers to it and, um, we don't have to go there, but I think one, one thing I've been seeing so much bullshit on social media has been driving me crazy. And this idea comes up every single time that a black man is killed by a police. It's like, what about black on black crime? <clears throat> what, what's happening in those communities? Why are we focusing on that? Like you talking about apples and bananas. Like these but are that's, two... also, that's also embedded in the same fiber that out of that fiber of us not dealing with is that we have a, um, somebody, I don't remember where it was, but the words came up. I was watching something. We are surviving, not thriving. And so when you talk about you're thriving because you have a lucrative career, a family, and you're not being attacked. And so you're able to step up, step up, step up, not be questioned for who you are as a person yeah. thriving. You know what I mean? Like, and here we are surviving. And even if you take the step to say, you know what? I'm going to leave my community. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go get a graduate degree. I'm going to get a great nine to five with a, a great salary and try to change, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to work it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I need to do to, in order to occupy this space. And yet, and still, guess what? It don't matter. It don't matter. So it's like, you know, we're not on different track. We're all just surviving. Yep. And survival looks different than thriving. Survival is I got scraps. Thriving is I got food. Yep. It's difficult for us when you talk about health and bring that in, like soul food. Soul food is not just a, a you know a compilation of food that we got in our refrigerator. Like it's food that slaves were putting together, hog moths, chitterlings, like yep. that, that, like, you know, granted, I don't eat that now, but it's like I understand the importance of it in our culture. That was ours. Like, so it's like we don't understand what you understand because we were surviving, not thriving. Yep. We're trying to eat, not figure out how we can get rid of diabetes because we didn't even know what that was because we weren't even giving good food. Yep. <laughs> so it's, it's survival. And once people understand that, like, you know, you can go get a bone, but I got to wait for you to throw it to me <laughs> in order for me to move. And that's it. And that's and not in every case. But I, but again, in the fiber of it. Even the more, the more you like look at the way that they could like they go at Barack Obama. He was the president of the United States of America. You were, you read, like, and did not do, like, he didn't, was not committed of any crimes. I think I hear people disrespect him more than they do Nixon. Look. Or Reagan. You know what I mean? Like, or put, like, and so it's just like, what if he was a white man? How would you have responded to him and his, his, or would he have been at this, had the opportunity? You know, so it's like, it's survival all across, no matter who you are, where you be. No you know? You and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, like, I'm still going to continue to do what I need to do to do to be better for myself. Yeah. And if I have to ignore them, I'll do what I need to do in order to get where I want to go. Yep. And that's the freedom that I have now that I have to respect and understand for myself. Yeah. So. I'm concerned right now with what's happening and playing out on the news and social media and not being able well, I'm able, but not in the same way that I would be able to directly talk to my kids about what they're seeing. And we're seeing cities burn across the nation. Just last night, I think it was 30 cities that were protesting, burning up all over the place. And I've come across so many opinions about why or why it's silly 
or those thugs and there are some very nice people and I have a, a, a personal opinion on it but I'm concerned that I'm not able to to talk to my students about what what this mean like what they're seeing in the historical context behind it and, and about what it's really about it's not about stealing a, a tv I don't give a damn about this tv I want to express my frustration I, I want to take something from you because I feel like I, I can't do anything. There's no justice being served. So if I take this TV, this is my justice being served. But people don't give a damn about these TVs. And I just feel like educators are not equipped to have these conversations with kids. They're meeting them on Zoom and Google Classroom. And they're not going to be having these conversations. And I'm concerned about the message that's fueling the brains of, of my mm. black kids and, and kids in general across this nation are watching it and they're either going to hear these are thugs and idiots or they're mm. going to hear, you know, the truth about it. And I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm very concerned about about this this aspect of, of how they're internalizing what's going on right now. And, that, and that's why I think it's important to. Open up the platform. Because, like, even what you will find is that they might even be apathetic or lethargic to it. They might not even see what we're seeing. Right. Or they might see more. And, like, that's what we have to encourage their possibility. We have to encourage the fact that they are our next generation and the future leaders of, of where we are. And so it's like, what, the, the most important thing that I find is, like, why not encourage them? Why not motivate? Because at the end of the day, it's going to make my job easier in the future. Like right. I have, like I'm going to give and give and give and give because at the end of the day, you know that's like they want somebody to know that they care, like that that you care about them. Yeah, and that they matter. You know, and they might have a voice, and that's what we. I spend a lot of my time in trying to give voice to the voiceless. You know, I know how that felt. I know how it feels. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't look at them as 18, 19, 20 year olds who don't know shit. It's like, they know different shit than I know. And I, and I'll be the first, like some, I'll text some of them like, Hey, what's the, how you do, 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 do. like, I know, a lot, I listen, I like to, I'm a, a master of none. I know what I know and I don't right. know what I don't know. And I'll be the first to admit what I don't. Know, and then also what I know, cause I'm gonna tell you what I know. Yep. So it's just like, we have to treat them the same way. Like, we have, like they're humans and they're not and I, and I remember that was something I always hated when I was younger like I hated when adults spoke to me like I didn't matter that I didn't have a voice because what you don't understand you don't realize um, who said this somebody just recently said this that if you are not teaching your children someone else is yep. I don't it was somebody it was just in the, it was in the news I don't remember so shout out to them it wasn't me <laughs> but like somebody else is teaching you like while you are trying to be busy about something else and not giving that child their attention yeah. whoever that person is yeah. somebody else is giving them direction somebody else is leading them to something that can either damn them or uplift them yeah now which part of which side of history would you like to be on for those particular children and no you're not gonna be able to save everybody no you're not gonna be able to do the work of god because he is the only person that can but you have to be able to give them a little bit more than what you were given yeah. And that, and at this time, giving them a lot more understanding, because, again, like I said, the bullet wasn't at, the gun wasn't at my neck when I was growing up. 
the gun is at my neck now as an adult. And so especially for these young black men and for these young black women, well, these people, these men of color and these women of color. Like, even when you look at some of the videos, it's women that's behind, you know, clack, 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 talking, 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 talking. You know, there was a woman in, in Washington, D.C. that was, you know, punched by a cop. Like, they are coming for everybody. And we need to be together as a community. Like, like you said, the you know, I was just reading up about the looting and one of my classmates, you know, was talking about, I don't understand why people loot. It's the whole concept of the toilet paper. We're worried about the wrong thing. Like, wrong when people talk about the toilet paper during COVID, let me explain something to you. If I got six people in my house that ain't never home and I buy a 24-pack of toilet paper in the last a month, now I got these six people in my house and they at home all the time, you best believe I'm going to buy more toilet paper. You best believe I have to buy more toilet paper. So no, and then you also have to realize that it's not an infinite amount of toilet paper, y'all. <laughs> Think about how there, how many, I, I know one grocery store, two grocery stores that are near me, and imagine how many people fill up those areas. Now I'm talking about there's one grocery store that's five minutes away from me, another one that's probably seven minutes away from me, and they're servicing two different areas of people. So if everybody's getting up to go get toilet paper, of course there's not going to be any toilet paper. It makes sense. And so it, it makes sense in this concept. Like, if we're not offering, like, we're worried about looting, but who owns these? Who owns this stuff? Do we get loans to go build buildings? Right. Because if they if they bash the bank right here, I only know one Black-owned bank where I live. So if they go knock over Bank of America, Wachovia, whatever, that's in the hood, it ain't ours. The television don't belong to us. Yep. And if they broke all the televisions, imagine what that would provide for you. Have your child go sit down and read a goddamn book. Go have a conversation <laughs> with your child. Go bring the community together to go talk about what just happened. You know what I mean? Like, make meaning of the experiences yeah. that they have. You know, yeah. like, uh, uh, an uh, uh, administrator from here, the school I work at, t- uh, told me my first year here, four years ago, I have the sum of my experiences. When you change my experiences, you change my life. Hmm. When you change my experiences, yep. you change my life. Yep. And so a lot of it is that we might even have to correct the way that we're thinking, which is an experience. Yep. What advice would you give to those of us who are tired, but we have to keep showing up right now? Mm-hmm. I woke up on Tuesday and spent some time all on social media so things are coming out and i had maybe about six zoom calls mm-hmm. all day long and this is mm-hmm. this is every day i'm on call after call after call and i have to get on with my smile hi good morning oh such cute kids oh mm-hmm. oh my gosh wow that's great earrings like I have to put on like this armor of smiles while deep down inside I am fuming. I am tired. I don't give a damn about distance learning right now. To be honest, I'm worried about my black husband that just left out. And I don't, I don't know if my, my man is coming back home. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's, I'm, I'm tired, but I have to keep showing up. And there are so many black people in various sectors of work or whatever that are tired, but we have to keep showing up. Like, I don't, I don't, and maybe you, you speak life to yourself when you give this advice, but what, what would you say? 
Um, <laughs> so I would like to look at songs. Uh, I don't know if you heard. Have you heard Janae Aiko's new album, Chilumbo? I have not listened to it, but I, I hear it's fire. So just like she had a song called Born Tired. And so mm-hmm. it just immediately like if you I mean, we can't see it, but I was like looking to that and she was just like, you know, because um, look at how far you have come and look at all that you have going. Look at who you have become. Baby, you got to keep going. Rest your weary heart. Dry your teary eyes. I know you were scared and torn apart inside. Um, and she admits like, baby, I was born tired, getting more tired. And as time passes by, I'm going to need more fire. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think that that came to mind for me. And then what also came to mind for me is is my experience. Um, you get to, you know, wake up in your home, get yourself together, you know, with your husband, do your morning routine, you know, drive in your car, commute to work, you know, might listen to what you want to listen to, maybe a podcast or music. Um, prepare yourself for what you're walking into. Um, my experience is that I walk out my door and I'm at work. Hmm. So I remember being at a conference in November, this past November, and the gentleman was talking about um, essentially how people of color show up at work. And we need to be, I guess, it's what it sounds like more transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, well, if I'm feeling angry, then maybe I should walk out angry. Um, and, I, and I had a lot of conflict. I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. You know, to be honest and, 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 and outright with with this, with the young people. But at the same time, it was that what possibility would I be giving them that? And I know and I know for me, like I'm human, like I, sometimes I can't control my emotion. You know, what I mean? I, like I have to be I have to be weighed down. And, you know, sometimes like, hey, chill out, you know, or like you're too passionate. Right. Or da, 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 da. You know, so it's like I have to check myself every time I open that door. Because I know and I'm aware of what they're dealing with because last week, somebody got shot down the street. Somebody got jumped. Somebody just failed all their classes. Somebody's parent just died. Somebody's, you know, homie just died. Um, You know, they, they might be here for sports, but now realizing that their sporting dreams are no longer a reality. You know what I mean? Like they might not have any support. They, there's a million other things that they're dealing with that my grown ass cannot walk out of my door with the same thing. Like I have to be able to. So for me, what I'm saying is that you have to take the time for yourself. Like, like what she said, like, I know you're tired, but you got to keep the fire going. What's that fire? What's that spark? What got you into doing the job that you're doing? And be reminded of that and that that will be packed down to carry more torches yeah. as opposed to finding all the lights that are dimmed. You know what I mean? Like you have to just keep going. And I think it's just super important to, and take care of yourself. Yep. And that's something that I had to compare being in the high school compared to being in college. Now, I, like I, I go to therapy, like I'm mindful of the things that I want to do. I take time off of work. Yep. I leave work and I leave work at work. You know, it's like is you have to take care of yourself. And it's those things that you know, even like now people now, if you sick, you know, I mean, COVID's going to change everything. But it's like if you're sick, don't come in. It's like, well, why weren't we doing that before? It's like I knew that I was half, like half ass. I knew my allergies were coming and I know how they come every year. But do I take off work during allergies? I, <coughs> I, I do what I need to do. <laughs> 
to to you know to be so i think that we just need to be mindful one to take care of ourselves like i do know that's important but i also do know too that we cannot deny of knowing the feeling that they have because we were there once before I know what isolation and loneliness look like. I know what depression, you know, I know what it looks like. I know what, you know, hurt and anger and grief looks like. I remember my second year here, there was a young lady. She cursed me out in front of students, staff, like cursed Mm -hmm. me out. And I remember being like, y'all better get her. But then I took her to the side and talked to her and I brought a female counterpart and realized that had nothing to do with me. Mm Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with me. Like, literally everything that she exposed that day, not any of it had to do with her her existence on this campus. It was about everything she was dealing with that was dragging her down. Death, despair, darkness, doom, violence, exploitation. It wasn't none of us, but now she had somebody who they had space for her to give all her shit to. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we got to take care of ourselves we got to know what these things look like because we've been there, but we also can't ignore them because of what they might show up looking like. Yeah. And I think you talked, and this, uh, I'll say this is my last point. You talked yeah. about it earlier. There are people who can help us get our jobs done. And you talked about like, I'm like, and that's great for you. I'm going to get three community partners who can bring resources is that, and that goes back to the community. It's not, and it's not all about you. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. And it's like, you know, you want to take it, um, you want to take it and think that it's about you. But in reality, it's about them and what they're going on. And you have to be able to aid them in changing their mindset, changing their experiences. They can see more of themselves because up into college, up into high school, we deal with all of the stuff that our family gave us. Yeah. So it's like they're making meaning of who, like at the ages, who is Chad? What does Chad want out of life? How does Chad think? And I've had conflicts going, you know, after college where my family, like, well, we do things this way, but that's not the way he does it because of my experiences. And then that has to be respected and translated. So I would say to educators, don't give up and, you know, be communal, be collaborative. See what's happening across the aisle. It might be a Catholic school, you know, parochial school, a charter school. It could even be colleges. It could be an elementary school. It's like we have to start talking to each other to see what is going to bring us to our 100? Yeah. When I'm at 76, how can I get to my 100? And so we have to, and when you're talking about post-COVID, things will probably be more virtual. We have even a, a space now, a foundation for cross-collaboration across states. What's working in Missouri that might not be working in California or might be working mm-hmm. in Oregon that's not working in, in, in Maryland. So we have to open up that conversation amongst each other because we're, again, they don't need to be ready for us. We need to be ready for them. Yep. Yep. I I I also think that there's so much strength in in showing up authentically you too, right? Like yeah. I, I show up, I've been showing up to these meetings all week and then end of the week, someone's like, Oh Jasmine, how are you today? I said, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated, but I'm here. But I just want you to know the reason why I am tired, frustrated, and exhausted. And maybe it didn't click right away, but it's like there's too much going on around us right now for us to ignore this as a body of educators. 
um, especially the the black educators that are our leaders in our network. Like we're we're drained to the bone right now, and I, I they our network is acknowledging it. Is they're giving mm-hmm. us giving us the space, but that's not happening across the board. Yeah, and the more we're able to show up authentically ourselves and express you know our our feelings the more we're bringing just a a a tiny bit of awareness mm-hmm. to how things are impacting us for those who maybe just are not understanding or are choosing to ignore the impact of what's happening in our world right now um well well with that chat i truly appreciate your time and for you sharing just so authentically and and being raw and candid here today i know this conversation again is is draining for us but it's going to be therapy for someone else it's going to be um uplifting for someone hopefully we're able to touch someone that's that's tired that needs a little bit a little pick me up so i appreciate your time today chad and love the conversation and can't wait to have you back on maybe for something a little more lighthearted. <laughs> No, I, I, this is dope, Jazz. I thank you for you know, and and that's the the big thing is this is a this is something of you taking care of yourself that I see it as, and you're bringing you know when I'm looking at a few people that I, I didn't know, but it, you're bringing your community together, and so you know something that I believed in you is that you would be a leader for education and what things should look like, you know, and I've been able to see you in kind of both instances with Chicago and in LA, and so it's like. You know, that's amazing. I'm happy that you are doing what you're doing. Um, and that's just important. So keep leading, you know, the children of tomorrow. Um, and I thank you for this because this is all collaborative. This is us being able to use our voice and talk about our experiences and we can get and garner and gain things from each other. Um, so I think that's just super dope. Um, and so, you know, everybody out there is just like, keep keep moving. Remember, like, our tomorrows need to be better than our, you know, our todays. And so it's like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. But we got to keep pushing through because we're people of resiliency. And, you know, I can't complain because, you know, my ancestors were whipped and enslaved. And, you know, here I have the freedom to come and go as I please, to eat as I want, to do whatever work I want to do able to read a book without being, you know, hit or, you know, have to do it in secret. So um, keep fighting, keep going. And, you know, someday, one day. One day. When the, what do you say, when the war is done, we will, so. One day. Thank y'all for joining us on the Summer School Podcast. If something stood out to you in our conversation today, if there's a topic you would like for us to explore, or hell, even if you're a woke, witty, or petty educator and want to be featured, drop us a line at info at the summerschoolpodcast.com.